Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for, for just bringing life where there has been death. Heavenly Father, I pray that for these next few moments, you would just do what only you can do. And that's change people's hearts. I pray that, myself included, we would all experience the awesomeness of your presence. As you lead us closer and closer to becoming the people that you've dreamed for us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you grab a seat, please? I have to tell you, after watching those videos and this baptism, there's very little else I need to say, yet here I stand. (laughs) I'm going to talk about Easter. Uh, It is Easter, and and, uh, I thought that'd be a good topic today. Um, And I want to take it to what I would think is its simplest form. Um, Let me just say a couple things about what Easter is not. Easter is not uh, just a holiday, uh, a time of, you know, bunnies and eggs and those kinds of things. It's, those are nothing wrong with that. It's fun. Um, Easter is, uh, uh, actually, if you get to its real form, it's not, or it should never have been turned into a religious, uh, icon uh, of a day. Um, I, I think, uh, and, and I don't have anything against Easter or, or the religious ceremonies that go with it. I would just say that the majority of the world looks at these religious ceremonies on Easter and to them it's a foreign concept and, and they don't understand it. And, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think that these religious ceremonies necessarily capture uh, the heart of Easter. Um, I, I think we want, to, we, we want to really find out why it's there and why, uh, why we celebrate it and what it's all about. And I think probably the greatest definition that I've ever heard of Easter was something that C.S. Lewis referred to in the Narnica Chronicles when he said Easter is death working backwards. And I thought that is really what Easter is all about it's about bringing life to dead people. It's about, it's about bringing life where there has been death. Uh, when I was just listening to Justin's story a few moments ago, I, I, I was just, as he was speaking, I'm just praying because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm imagining what Easter can mean to Justin and to his family and, and, and how it can bring to life things that have died and been dead for a long time. And it's just, just a powerful definition of Easter itself. And so today I want to just share with you just a few thoughts. This isn't going to be very long, but I want to talk about who we are and what we need and what Easter brings to us because um, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm, I'm pretty honest about where I am in life and, and I would be one of the first people to tell you I really need Easter there are things in my life that require life where there's been death and, and, and hope where there's been some hopelessness. And, and, and so 
I'm always in need of Easter, and I would guess that most of you here today would say probably the same thing. So I want to begin with something, a concept uh, that we as a church have been learning recently. I just finished a series here called Made for More, and it was a study out of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was written by Paul. It was actually a letter to uh, the church in a town called Ephesus, and he was really trying to give people the picture of Christ, of them as individuals, and then as a church, and how the church should operate. And and um, one of the verses that really stuck in my mind and thought was out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it starts out with this thought, we are God's masterpiece. And that 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 phrase, that, that thought, that we are God's masterpiece, is not just for people who are Christ followers. It's not for people who are, go to a Christian church. It's for everyone in the world. We have been created as masterpieces, very unique, very special, highly intended by God. So I thought, I want to talk about this masterpiece thing for a little bit, and and I found this video that we edited a little so for, for length, but I want you to take a look at a masterpiece being created by a sculptor. It's really interesting. I always find that you have to be a bit mad to become a stone carver. I mean, this isn't the Renaissance anymore. Stone isn't a primary building material anymore. Why, why would you go into an industry? Why would you go into a profession that is expensive and takes a lot of time and the material is heavy and hard to move and it is expensive to obtain even before you do anything to it? Um, and then after that, even after you've made something out of it, you have to convince people that this is a worthwhile endeavor. Um, but I always find that the answer to that question is always that there just wasn't any other, any other option. The clay, when you do a clay model of someone, that's where you're working out the idea and you're getting acquainted with their face and you're talking to them and looking at them. And that's really what it's about, is just looking. A lot of people don't recognize the fact that clay is quite, it's an easy substance, it's soft, it's, you can move it around very fast, you can build it up really fast and then take it away really fast. And so there is no point in being precious about it. If you make a mistake, you, shouldn't, you can just discard that and start again and it won't take that long. The sound that it makes is incredibly satisfying. Um, a lot of people who aren't carvers comment on that, and that feeling of a like well-sharpened chisel going into stone smoothly and cleanly, and that tr transition of looking at a stone and telling your hands to do something, and then tr your hands telling a chisel and a mallet to do something, and then have it take off exactly the right amount of stone, have it do exactly what you want to do, is the most satisfying feeling. Once you've created something, it has 
it takes up a physical space in the world and it it has a permanence that will hopefully outlast you and it's not vulnerable either. I maybe want people to see themselves in it. I want them maybe to wonder uh, about my reasons for carving it. I want people to have I want people to maybe argue about why I made it in the way that I did and have different ideas of what the reason is and the purpose. The Bible is continually speaking of us being a masterpiece. We've been created with intentionality. We, we are gifted. We are unique. And again, this is true for everyone throughout the planet. God has, has uh, created us in, in such a way that no two people are ever alike. He has in a great plan for every person's life. The Bible says that He planned us before we were ever in our mother's womb. In Psalm 139, the psalmist David wrote, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. But the reality is that this masterpiece sculpture, what we just witnessed in that video, and what we witness in life, is it needs more than just creation. There has to be something that, that brings us to life, that brings us alive. And so in Ephesians 2, that verse that I referred to early on, it says we're God's masterpiece. He then gives us the, the rest of the, the, the picture. He says, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. If you, look, if you read this in its uh, original text, then you want just... Put it out there in words that, that really bring its meaning alive. It says that we're God's own handiwork, His creation. And then it's like there's a semicolon. And then it says, recreated in Christ Jesus. What that says is that just because we've been created and that we're unique, doesn't mean that we have life. But when we are recreated in Christ Jesus... All of a sudden, all of this life matters. All of it has purpose. All of it has design. And the same way that, that we're created is the picture that we see at Easter. We just sang a song that talks about it where his, his buried body began to breathe. When God created man, you remember that he breathed life into him. And so the point that I want to make today is this that we need the breath of God. We need something inside of us that brings life to our masterpiece creations. So I want you to park that thought for a few moments, the whole idea of the masterpiece and the second thing that needs to happen. And I want to read a passage of Scripture out of John chapter 11. Uh, many of you have heard of this story before. It says, A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. 
This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So his sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will be It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Now that's an important thought because nobody caught on to what Jesus was doing. Even after he said that, they still didn't get it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Right before this, Jesus and the disciples were in Judea, and and because of what he was teaching, the Jewish religious leaders were trying to kill him and the disciples. So they, they act like they're concerned about Jesus. They were probably concerned about their own skin. He then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples said, well, Master, if he's going to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. In other words, we don't want to go. If he's just resting, can we just wait and make sure he's okay? But Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became very explicit. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there And here's the key of everything today. You are about to be given new grounds for believing. Now, let's go to him. That's when Thomas said to his companions, you know Thomas, Doubting Thomas, he he had a reputation. He said, okay, come along. We might as well die with him. You know, just (laughs) man of faith, Eeyore for Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting. Thomas was always doubting. He, all, he, he was the last person you would think would actually make the cut. Yet, he ended up going to India and sharing the message of Jesus where he was martyred. So he gave his life for this story. Coming back to Lazarus, when Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. That's really dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. Mary stayed at the house. She was mad. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give you. And Jesus said to her, brother, your brother will be raised up. And Martha replied, I know that. And she goes, I know he'll go to heaven and be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. And Jesus interrupted and he said this. He goes, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who keeps the rules. No. The one who believes in me even though he or she dies will live and everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all then he asked the question that I want to ask you today do you believe 
Do you believe this? Easter is not a holiday. Easter is a person. And for the masterpiece to come alive, it only requires that you believe. I would like to um, show you a couple of pictures. I, I would also like to think this was an original thought of mine, but I actually stole it off of the internet. Let's take a look at this picture here. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but this is uh, Death Valley. It's the driest and hottest place in our country. And I thought it would be a great picture for you to look at and think what death feels like. And in some of your lives, this is you. In some of your the parts of your life, things have died. I don't know what they are. Everybody's got a different story. But I can tell you this, that that death happens everywhere. So one of the questions I would ask you today is, what has died in your life? Maybe it, it was a dream that you're pretty sure now will never, ever come true. Maybe it's a career that you thought you could have and man, everything went south and you are never going to get there from where you are today. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that this is all you ever wanted was to be married and have children and do the live happily ever after thing and your life is so far away from that. Everything around you has been destroyed. Dead. Maybe it's a a child that they're so far gone. You can't ever see them coming back. What is it that has died in your life? Maybe God died. And what I mean by that is maybe maybe you believed but life has killed God in your life. You, you, you've imagined God as you know, the creator of all things and, and you look at yourself and the complexity of the human person or the, you can look at, at the galaxies and, and how complex and how could this happen by accident and, and something huge was at the control lever. This didn't happen by accident but God to you is somebody who watches all the pain and all the suffering and all the hell on earth and does nothing and he sits on his throne looking forward to sending people to hell God has died I'd like you to take a look at the next picture it's very interesting it's the same place the same exact place let me tell you what happened in December of 2004 a very unusual weather pattern took place and seven inches of rain fell on Death Valley nothing in history had ever shown anything like that so this is the same place this is Death Valley on Easter of 2005 the Washington Post wrote this the hottest place on earth has been covered with flowers 
pretty interesting that, to imagine that under all the death were seeds of life. Let's start with God. We don't understand everything about God. In fact, I don't think we understand very much about God. How, how could the human mind even comprehend God? If you think you have a picture, good or bad, I can promise you it's wrong. He is so massive and incredible and omni-everything. There is no way that humanity can have any concept of God. And so there's this one moment, this one picture, this one brief written thing that gives us our best, absolute best picture of God. And it's probably not the picture that you would have. But one day the disciples that were following Jesus around and seeing him do all these things, they said to him, who is God? What does he look like? The same questions that we have. And and he just answered simply, if you want to know what he looks like, look at me. Look at me. If you want a definition of God, look at me. See, God isn't this ogre sitting on a throne watching destruction and chaos and doing nothing. He took the most beloved part of himself, his son, and he put him into the middle of every pain, every dead place, every wipeout in life, every all the things that we heard in these baptism stories, Jesus was in the middle of it. He was he was sitting on the other side of a cell speaking through the food tray place. He's everywhere. One of the things that we learned as we were studying the book of Ephesians in the first chapter is that Jesus is everywhere. He is in everything. There isn't a dark place, an ugly place, a dead place that you have come to in your life when Jesus has not been there. God wasn't distant. God wasn't sitting on a throne judging and relishing in the hell of people's lives. He took his most precious relationship, his son, and put him into the middle of the hell. The dead places where you and I tend to live sometimes. I have a couple of questions to ask you today. What, what is it in your life that needs to come back to life? What has died that needs to be resurrected? Are you living a life that seems more like a desert than a masterpiece? I just want to share with you what Easter has to say to you today that in the death, in the dead places are the seeds of an incredible life that Jesus wants to give to you where things actually make sense, where life actually has purpose because Easter is where death works backwards. I want to close reading a prayer. I didn't write it. It was written by Paul in Ephesians. 
It's really simple. It's my prayer for you today. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great His power is to help those who believe Him. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'd like for you, if you would, to take these cards. Just hold them in your hand. Everybody, if you would, please. And I'd like you to flip it over to the back. You you see there are the things that says prayer request. And listen, if you have a prayer need, fill this out. We'll pray for you. I promise we will. We will. Questions and comments, only if they're flattering uh, on the comments. You know, pastor's amazing. Pastor's just wonderful. Whatever. Whatever you want to write. But I want to go to the top, the spiritual survey. Um, I think it's... I think it's good to know where you are. Not not for me to know. I think it's good for you to know where you are. So I'm, I'd like you to take this survey and we're going to, you know, take a look at these when they come in and um, kind of find out where, where the group is. I'm going to give you all four of these and I want you to pick one. The A is this. I'm already in a relationship, in a real relationship with Jesus. What that means there, it's not talking about, you know, I joined a church or I got into religion or um, I prayed a prayer when I was four. It's talking about a real relationship. You know what a real relationship is. It's when you talk to somebody, you spend time with them, you, you can yell at each other and you can, but, but they're there. And and so if that's the kind of relationship you have with Jesus, which, by the way, you can have that kind of relationship with Him, then check check the A box. Here's the B. The B says, I'm beginning a real relationship with Jesus. This is the big one for today. If, if, If this is the decision that you want to make today, that I'm tired of trying to fix my life on my own. I'm trying to, I'm tired of trying to be the resurrection, giving life to the dead parts of my life. I need God to help me in this. Then check the letter B today. Make that decision today. There's no formula. You don't have to do anything a certain way. You just say basically, yes, I need to have this relationship with Jesus in my life. The third one is, I'd like to consider it for a while longer. I told the first service today, um, I'm very right-brained. I make decisions really quick. And then I have to deal with that. Left-brained people are so stinking slow. Engineer, well, I shouldn't like name vocations. I'm just saying that um, they actually think things through. And that's not a bad thing. But at some point, you need to pull the trigger. The, the idea, I think, I, I can't, I, I don't even want to do this. I, I grew up in a world, a religious world, where the pressure was on to make a decision. And sometimes you just made it out of fear that, well, I made it out of fear because my dad was a pastor and I didn't want to have to answer the question at home. So, you know, sign up, Greg, live longer. 
And, um, but I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't change your life. So if you're considering it, that's a step. It, it's, it's a wonderful step. And then there's a fourth one that, um, just to be very candid, I don't ever intend to make that decision. I, I think it's noble, if that's how you feel, that you would check this box. And I can't change your mind about that. I'm not going to try. But I will tell you this. I love you so much. We love you. And most of all, Jesus loves you. And you'll be back. And we'll give you another chance to check the box again. I promise. But I get it. And I just want God, I just want you to know where you are. Right now, I want to pray. And I specifically want to pray for those who've checked box number B. If you haven't checked one, do it now. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to end the day with uh, one more song. Our ushers will come and you throw your cards in there along with any offering. And the offering, giving money, is, is for our church family. So if you're a guest, no pressure. And then we're going to give away these Easter baskets. And um, it'll be great. But right now, I want to pray for those who are making the greatest decision of their life. Father, I thank you for what you've done in today's time, this Easter all across the world. Lord, there are people who are making decisions today that they're tired of living in the deadness of life. And Lord, they, they need you to bring life where there's death. Lord, I pray specifically for those who are saying yes to you today. I'm beginning a real relationship with you. I pray that you would strengthen them, guide them, help them, help us as a church to help them. Lord, I thank you for the people who've already had the relationship, but they need to see and sense life where there are dead spots. I thank you for those who are still considering this and thinking about it. And I I just pray, Lord, that you would guide them and continue to pull them to yourselves. And I pray, Father, for those who have no plans ever to change their mind. That, God, you would just show them how much you love them. Lord, I thank you for this Easter. I thank you for this day. What an amazing day. I thank you for the people who were baptized and the stories and the life change. And I thank you for what you are doing in our hearts and lives today. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?